Uh, we've been in a teaching series um, called Spirit Born, all about the gifts of the Spirit, looking at the Holy Spirit and how it works, and, and specifically how the Spirit works in, in our worship times together. And to kind of anchor us in this time, we've been looking in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapters 12 through 14, where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth of the original Sin City about these gifts of the Spirit and how they work. And, and so I brought some whiteboards up here, and so you, you guys always know what that means, right? Like, so I, I'm going to need some help today. Does anyone, would anyone like to come and help me? Awesome. Megan and Madeline, perfect. If you guys could come on up here. <laughs> they both were like no eye contact at all. All right, go ahead. Give them applause as my Vanna Whites come and help me today. All right. So each, any color you would like, both of you pick a whiteboard. I'll let you choose whichever one you want. <laughs> I even brought stools for you because I want you to hang out just for a little bit. Madeline, you can hang out for a second. I'm going to start with Megan. And Megan, what I want you to write is just gifts of the Spirit. And, and maybe you guys from the audience can help me. What are some of the spiritual gifts? What are, what are some spiritual gifts? Call them out and Megan is just going to write them up there. Self-control. Okay. Let's talk about gifts people actually have. <laughs> Administration, okay? Teaching, here, I'll, I'll go ahead, and put that next slide up there. Here's a couple, oh man, I forgot to do this part. Um, I'm kind of tired. So I'm gonna back up here, because everything goes in order. Um, Last week, as a part of our, 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 our Holy Spirit teaching, we invited people to kind of an open mic time. Were any of you here for this? And we just set up a mic and we said, hey, we, we need to trust that the Spirit in you, that God's put a Spirit in you that can speak and share. And, and we did something that I've never seen done. We, we just set an open, we honestly, we just set a mic out front and said, hey, if God's given you a Spirit to share something, we invite you to share and uh, what, what happened was, like, this incredibly, like, awesome, affirming, encouraging, helpful, strengthening time. But in the back of my head was this verse, or this, this church sign, like, hey, we're mostly sweet, but we got a few nuts. So I didn't know how, exactly how things are going to work. Anyway, let's go back up. Go ahead, Murr, and go to that next slide. Here are some of the spiritual gifts specifically named in Scripture. So, Megan, keep adding them to your list. Other people can, uh, can call them out if you'd like. Giving, speaking in tongues. Uh, how many of you knew hospitality was a gift of the Spirit? Apostleship, prophecy, gifts of wisdom and knowledge, miracles, mercy. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is pretty clear about, uh, he says in chapter 14, he says, you should, you should desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Like, like these are admirable and desirable things. And if you were with us the past couple of weeks as we've looked at 1 Corinthians 14, he says, he says really, you should desire the gift of, of prophecy because this, this can be really, really helpful. But there's one more. In chapter 12, verse 31, he says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But he says, now let me show you a way that is best of all. So if you've been paying attention to our series at all, you know that we've been teaching out of 1 Corinthians, and we, we spent two weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
And then we spent the last two weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and some of you came up and mentioned to me, hey, you skipped one. But if you look carefully, and, and, and I want to I make this clear, in the middle of this incredible treatise discourse of Paul about the power of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, specifically in a church, in a church context, right in the middle, he says, you know, I want you to pursue all of these gifts, but let me show you a way of life that is better than all of them. Do you know what it is? Do you guys know 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, all right, so Madeline, you're up. Give us a, draw us a heart, your, your best, however you would like. Yeah, this is your whiteboard. Own it, girl. Paul says, look, there are some amazing, awesome gifts of the Spirit. But if you want to live a life that is best of all, then love. And Paul holds up, of, of all of the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says that love is greater than all of them. And if you guys know, uh, I'm nervous about what's happening behind me. Okay, perfect. <laughs> if you guys know 1 Corinthians 13, like this is, all right, so every wedding you've ever been to includes 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter of the New Testament. Maybe the most wonderful chapter in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible. Um, because it talks about love and, and heart, but not just any heart. It talks about the heart of God. But if you remember how it begins, there's an issue. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 13, the first three verses. Here's what it says. Paul says, let me show you the best way of life. And then he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be, what do you say? He says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained, what's that word? Nothing. Megan, go ahead and write some of these down. Remember what he says. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy. He said, if, if I understood all of the plans of God. If he says, I possessed all knowledge, you can just put know-it-all. He said, even if I had the faith to move mountains, if I had generosity towards the poor and practiced charity, even if I sacrificed my own body, sacrificed my own life, if I did all of this, do you see what he's doing? I mean, these are, these are some pretty good, these are pretty good, right? 
pretty amazing, and many of us would, would probably build our life on any one of these, holding them up to this incredible high level and, and praising, man, look at the faith that I have. I have faith to move mountains. And what does Paul say? He said, you can have all of this, but if you miss this, he said, not only would you gain nothing, these are heavy words. He says, if you have all of this and lack this, he says, I would be nothing. How are your priorities looking about now? See, I think love is, as, as Paul presents it, love is a journey from, stay with me, love is a journey from nothing to something. And he goes on in the next few verses to talk about the characteristics of love. All right, so Madeline, get ready. This is going to be your part. Start, I want you to write some of these characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. This is the part you guys are more familiar with, I'm sure. Paul says, well, here's, you know, I just told you, hey, you got to have love. Let me at least tell you what this love is. Let me tell you what it looks like. And here's what he says. He says that love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Mm-hmm. All that stuff in yellow, you get going. Yeah, you got it. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's a pretty powerful and amazing list, Right? I, and I don't know that this is an all-encompassing list, but it's pretty close because Paul lists 15 characteristics, and, and I want you to pay attention to this too. Like, it's, it's 15 characteristics of love, but not just any love. This is 15 characteristics of the love of God. Like, the love of God is the goal. And I just want to spend a few minutes here and, and tell you how... <laughs> how quickly I fall off the mat. Like, all right, I'm ready to love. I'm ready to pursue this one thing. Awesome, just tell me what love is. Well, love is patient. Can we start somewhere else? Right? And I want you to know, like, like this, the language of this text is love is patient, not like, like patient, like, like following a recipe. Um, love is, you know, it's not, it's not love is patient like, like doing a puzzle, right? This is specifically patient with people, right? And, and maybe you should even just add those words in your text. Some of you think, man, I, I'm pretty patient. I love to, to knit and crochet. I love to do all of these things. Like, no, that's not what he's talking about. This is patience with people, with the people you meet. I love the story that Bob Goff shares in, uh, uh, in his newest book, Everybody Always. You know, he's the love does guy. 
he felt really compelled to, to connect with people who were being patient, and, and, and he was looking for love as patient specifically, and he was flying in and out a bunch and in the airport several times a week, and he, became a, he began to recognize that they had the same TSA agent that was like checking his ID every time, right? Um, you know where this is going, like patience and TSA, this is about as like far apart as you can get. So he did the unusual. He asked the TSA agent one time just as he was checking his ID what his name was. And he said every week we would have like three or four like two-minute conversations. And everybody in, the, in line is getting annoyed. Like, why are you talking to the devil? You know, like, why are you talking to TSA? What are you doing? What are you thinking? But each time he would get in his line and he would, each time he would gain a little bit more information about this person and he even told this, this agent who learned his name and he learned about his family, learned about his dreams and his desires and he wants. He even told him, he said, I see the patience of Jesus in you and the way that you handle every person in line day after day after day. And Bob will go on to tell you that, that not only did he learn his dreams and his wishes, he, he helped him buy his first home, helped this TSA agent buy his first home. And when the agent suddenly died of a stroke, Bob was at his funeral sitting next to his wife. Because love is patient with people. It's kind and sweet to all. It's not jealous and it doesn't envy. This is a little bit deeper too. It's not just that you don't desire for something that some someone else possesses this this really like it's it's the it's the green it's the green envy part that it's not just well I desire what he has it's it's it is you don't begrudge them that they have what they have and you don't you see how that goes to a different place it's not that you're not just jealous you you don't begrudge them what they have he says, he says, the love of God is, is not boastful or, or a braggart. It's not self un, self-effacing. It always sees in itself its own unworthiness. Do you see that? This love that's never competing for some sort of merit or attention or award, but always sees itself as lacking. This kind of love is not proud or self-important. It's not, it's not rude, it, it, and, and I think a better translation of that is, it's not rude, but it, I think a better word is like, it does not behave gracelessly. Love is graceful, and that means courteous and polite. It does not demand its own way. Love like this is not irritable. It means uh, it doesn't fly into a temper. Again, I fell off the list already. Man. I, I mean, he says love is, is really not irritable. And I, I honestly, I just wrote in, my, in the sideline of my Bible, I was like, we all just need to throw ourselves on the altar right here. We've become incredibly irritable. It, it happens incredibly fast, even without us knowing it. I love what uh, uh, Rudyard Kipling said. He said, the test of a man was if he could keep his head when everyone else is losing his. He would go on to say that those who can control their tempers can overcome anything. You think that's true? 
That's the kind of love of God you have. This kind of love keeps no record of wrongs. Again, I'm cut in a deep place. Uh, These are accountant's words. That's what it is. He says, this kind of love has... uh, keeps no record of wrongs, it, like an accountant who keeps a scale or, or an Excel spreadsheet of, of every offense, of everything that's been done. But he says, that's not love. Real love, it has a short memory, right? Like when you have your kids and they're in some athletic competition or some sport and maybe they miss that last shot that would have won them the championship, what do you tell them? Have a short memory, keep playing, right? And, and I think this is such an important characteristics of Christians, like, like Christian love, uh, and, and maybe one of the marks of you really growing as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you have learned the ability to forget. Have you? Right now, are you sitting there like holding some like, I've got my spreadsheet, I know what you've Or in love, have you learned to forget? It says that this kind of love takes no joy in wrongdoing. There's, there's, there's just no pleasure in it. But rejoices in the truth, which is a way of, I think, of saying, really trusting in God, trusting the future to God. This kind of love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. I, I love that, like always hopeful. I read these words, it says, they simply say, we make people what we believe them to be. You think that's true? And love believes the best about other people. We always hope the best of another. And we believe that no one is beyond hope. And then finally, in this great like line of like absolute permanence, it says, love endures through every circumstance. I love the words of the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. In chapter 8, verse 7, Solomon says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Love is the rock, right? I love what a... William Barclay talked about this, this verse specifically, the permanence of love, the endurance of love. He says, the verb used here is one of the great Greek words. It is generally translated as to bear or to endure, but what it really describes is not the spirit which can passively bear things, but the spirit in which bearing them can conquer and change their very nature. You see that? It's, it's endurance for change. It's endurance believing and hoping that change is possible and that change can come. Some of you I've shared with, some of you have these horrible issues in your family or broken relationships or some stuff, and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to do, and sometimes I've had to say the incredible hard words to you, and those words are that true love waits. I know that mean, that's a book and a whole other thing. But true love does. True love waits, Right? And when that person or that family or that relationship is going sideways or doing their own thing or being hurtful, your job as the Christian is to wait and to love, right? 
And when the moment of change comes in that person's life, when, when they hit rock bottom or come to their senses or whatever it is, who will be there ready with open arms? See, love waits. And I know some of you, like I say that, like, I mean, that's an awesome thing. And, and I don't want to pretend like that's some easy thing because some of you guys have been waiting. You've been waiting a long time. And the best thing I can tell you is to keep waiting. Keep waiting believing and hoping for a change. I'll go ahead and let my my girls go back to their seats. Thank you guys. Can we give them a hand as they return? So no doubt, no doubt in my mind uh, that 1 Corinthians 13 is, is maybe the most beautiful and wonderful chapter in all of Scripture. But additionally, I would say that no chapter demands suf- such self-examination as 1 Corinthians 13. Did you feel it as we read these characteristics of love? Like I, I genuinely today, thinking about this teaching, I, I genuinely thought I'm just going to put these words on the screen and just let them sit there and just get out of the way. Because I think if you look at these words carefully, like, like meditate on them, it, it is going to draw up some tough, difficult stuff in you. And yet, there is a beautiful thing about this text. I don't think that Paul is raising up all these characteristics of love to show all your shortcomings and all the ways you failed at love and remind you all of this. Instead, I actually believe that he's showing us all of these things of love to inspire and to not hold us down, but to lift us up and raise us up and raise us out of darkness. I think he is inviting us to move from nothing to something. It is an invitation to love. So, in, a, in, in some sense, it's a journey from whiteboard to whiteboard, from nothing to something. Still, to just talk about this text, it seems to be to do, do some great injustice, right? Like, I want you to meditate on these words and think about them, and, but, but like somehow like talking about love is, it seems so... So insufficient. So I want to share just uh, just two quick videos with you, um, and and help you internalize First Corinthians thirteen. The first is just an incredibly short clip. It's been flying around Facebook and social media and all that stuff all week long. Go ahead, Merwin, play that first one. See if you've seen this. It's a clip between a father and a son. So what do you think? You see a little bit of First Corinthians thirteen there. Uh, I don't know if it's true, but this is a father and son, and they've been gone for a, uh, the, the story I heard was that they were, ab- they were, they were, he was gone for a week for the first time in his life, and this was their moment of reunion. But there's one more, and, and this is just to, to, put some, to put some more flesh on 1 Corinthians 13. I just want you to watch this last one. I couldn't watch. Paul says, he says, I want you to see things clearly. 
he invites us to, <clears throat> to put away childish things. And consider what's really important. He says, I want you to see things clearly. He says, all of these things, all of these gifts, all of these things are great. But I want you to know that they're all temporary. And there'll be a time that they become useless. But there are things that are not temporary. Chapter 13, the, the last verse he says, the last thing he says. He says, there, there are three things that will last. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So then, let love be your highest goal. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here, and I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion. We've got the, the table set up around, around the room, and I want you to know this is just sacred space for us. Uh, it's a great place to, to take your, your heartbreak and your wants and, and, and who, everything you are and just, just place them at the foot of the cross again. But I want you to know, and, and especially you teenagers in this room today, like, like I want you to know when you go to that table, like, like I want you to know that the love of God is waiting for you. That God loves you. And in all the ways that in that list that I fail at love, God loves you perfectly in every one of those ways. He loves you and is waiting for you, and maybe you've been caught up in some weird church stuff, or you don't know what to believe, I want you above all things to believe in the love of God, that he loves you perfectly. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for its power to, to convict and compel us. Um. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be words on a, on a page, but, but, but that your words would somehow mold us and shape us into the person you already believe us to be, into the, into the person that, that you love and cherish so much. And Father God, we come before you and we admit all of our faults and, and ask for forgiveness for all of our failings. And we know that you're We know that you're there waiting for us. So Father God, bless us. Let us know the truth of your love as we come to this table of your son's sacrifice. We see it, we see it so evidently and clearly. Bless us, God, as we enter into this, into this space. Help us in our journey to love Help us to, to make love our highest goal. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. Invite you to a time of communion together.